You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. Thank you for joining us. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are back for this thing we call a podcast. And it's been a busy, 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 busy week this week. First of all, hope uh, that you guys enjoyed the Disco Inferno and the names picked out of the hat. Got a lot of positive feedback on uh, Twitter on that. So uh, I do appreciate the feedback. Always looking to see what you guys think of what we could do better or what you're digging that we're doing. So uh, thank you for the feedback on that. want to thank Disco again. And based on the feedback, we might do that maybe uh, once or twice every year. Moving forward, want to let remind you that, uh, as we mentioned last week, our guest this week will be Coco Beware, WWE Hall of Famer. So we're looking forward to chatting with Coco on what should be a fun interview. So uh, stay tuned for that. Got a couple of announcements to make, by the way. and. Um, just uh, wanted to let you know that I am proud that I will be appearing at StarCast in the Chicago area over Labor Day weekend. Uh, it is a sort of a wrestling podcast uh, and wrestler convention that is being uh, done uh, the weekend of the all-in show. So a lot of stars of professional wrestling, a lot of legends, and a lot of the talent from all-in are going to be there for the StarCast event, and they're going to be meet and greets. There's going to be panel discussions and all kinds of other cool stuff. So I um, was honored to be asked to be there that weekend. So I uh, want to remind you that tickets go on sale tomorrow, and you could get them tomorrow and in the future at StarCast.com. If you want to see more of the information about StarCast and a uh, great weekend uh, of wrestling, uh, legends and podcasters go to starcast.com s-t-a-r-r-c-a-s-t.com so happy to say that uh i will be in chicago labor day weekend also really excited to let you know that next week our guest is going to be a former wcw world heavyweight champion i bet you would never guess who he's going to be and i'm not even going to leave you hanging ladies and gentlemen He's only done one other podcast that was four years ago about professional wrestling, and he is going to be sitting ringside next week. I am so excited to have former WCW champion David Arquette as our special guest. So uh, we're going to talk to him about the movie Ready to Rumble. We're going to talk to him about coming in and participating in WCW uh, for a few months, uh, becoming world heavyweight champion for a couple of weeks and uh, talk to him about uh, his thoughts on the wrestling business. I know he's still a big fan. Real nice guy. Uh, I expect to be a fun interview. So if you have any questions that you'd like me to hit uh, David Arquette with about his wrestling career or his take on professional wrestling, uh, be sure to go to at Penzer ringside or at David Penzer. Uh, and uh, if you don't have Twitter, you could email me at David Penzer all one word, at RadioInfluence.com. Don't forget to hit me up with any questions for David Arquette, former WCW champion, our guest next week on Sydney Ringside, at David Penzer on Twitter would be the best place to go. So 
excited about that and uh, should be a fun and interesting conversation with uh, a pop culture icon and a former world heavyweight champion. Right now, though, uh, we talked last week about uh, my Wrestling Observer, how I got involved in, 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 in into the Wrestling Observer uh, by a guy named Alex Marvez and uh, how he's still mad at me because I lost the additions that he had given me about two years worth, I believe. And uh, so I was texting him and we were having fun and uh, I thought I'd bring him on. He is a sporting news NFL columnist and a serious XM NFL radio host, basically been uh, one of the top football journalists for the NFL for the last 20 years. And funny enough, we broke in together uh, just trying to learn the wrestling business for the Global Wrestling Alliance many, many, many years back down in South Florida. So please welcome at this time, Alex Marvez. Last week on City Ringside, we had Disco Inferno on. Uh, we told the story of, I told the story uh, when talking about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and Dave Meltzer of Alex Marvez, uh, who is the uh, sporting news NFL columnist and Sirius XM NFL radio host. Longtime uh, football uh, journalist and uh, told the story about how he got me involved in the Wrestling Observer newsletter and turned me on to it and lent me like two years of back episode editions of the Wrestling Observer newsletter. And for the longest time, uh, I, I told I told him, "Yeah, I'll get it to you. Yeah, I'll get it to you. I'll get them back to you." And I finally, at some point, like ten years ago, had to break the news that um, I had lost them. So. Uh, I thought I'd, I'd bring Alex on and give him a public apology and see if he's still hot. Alex Marvez, how are you, sir? Longtime friend. I've known you longer than I've been in the wrestling business and you've been in the football business. So how things go, my, my old friend? How, how crazy is that, David? It is great to hear your voice. And of course, as you know, I'm so proud of your success. And, and really, the, the thing about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, um, and I will be billing you, by the way, for those two years <laughs> of uh, lost yearbooks. And they were the big yearbooks back in the day. Not the paper version. Of oh, the that's book. right. It was the yearbooks. Not the, I thought it was the, just the, the, you're right. You're right. It was the yearbooks. That's even worse. Sorry. I know it is. It is. But you know, the good news is though, that they do sell back issues. So I know that you'll be sending me a bunch of copies <laughs> and when I'll get them in the mail and it'll have that Tampa postmark on it, you know, and it'll all be good. But you know, the, the wrestling observer newsletter back Dave, when, when you and I, and, and our, and our timeline in wrestling, very similar. You know, we, we both became friends with people at the Global Wrestling Federation and really indoctrinated us to the business. And for those unfamiliar with it, we're not talking about the one that was on ESPN in the early 1990s. We're talking about the one that was Florida based. And this was essentially a company that took off after championship wrestling from Florida, got bought by Crockett Promotions and subsequently folded. And you and I were both trying to learn everything we could about the wrestling business. It was and actually the Global Wrestling Alliance. 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 Right. The party animal, Steve Collins, I believe, was yeah. part of that. And Death Row 5260 and Norman Smiley, Joe Malenko. I mean, you know, Dr. Red Roberts. I mean, there were some talented guys there. And, you know, and, and these guys, you know, Bob Ruby, they were so nice to us when we were growing up and we were kids. You know, we we're, you know, I would think I was 18 years old. You were probably 19 or 20 at the time. And, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. But we tried to learn everything we could about the way wrestling worked. And that's why the Wrestling Observer Newsletter to me was, I mean, this was before the Internet. This was before all of these things were out there. And it did give you an edge in the wrestling business because you were able to read about other the way that business worked 
in other territories, in other countries. You were able to pick up this history. You got spoilers. You got real names. You found out all the dirt going on behind the scenes. And at that time, that stuff was very privy information. And it really did give you an entree into the wrestling world. I mean, you because you could converse fluently about this stuff. Even if you weren't a worker yourself, at least you knew enough about the wrestling business that it earned respect for you. Sure. You just have to be very careful about where you mentioned Dave Meltzer's name because <laughs> – Remember, promoters were very paranoid at the time, but then you had guys like Paul Bosch who were secretly getting the Observer and reading it and learning about it. And, and you know, those, a lot of the same people who said how much they hated the dirt sheets, quote unquote, couldn't put them down. They read them cover to cover. Oh, everyone. We were talking about that last week. Every Disco claims he only read them if somebody gave them to him. He never subscribes. I don't know that I believe that for a second, but uh, but yeah, everybody read them. But I, I wonder, you know, I'd, and love to have Dave Meltzer on, on the podcast someday, but I wonder if he ever looks back and says, thank God I lived to be, you know, through the because, you know, he was enemy public enemy number one for the longest time of of of, of wrestling promoters who were, you know, it was all old school. You know, nobody knew anything. Right. And, you know, sort of like a little bit of a mystery guy. I mean, you know, you did see him from time to time on television. He looked like a young Brian Pillman, uh, you know, very athletic guy, short guy. You know what I mean? But had long hair. I mean, he looked he looked like Pillman. You know, and, and I never you know, thought of Brian Pillman when I saw Dave Meltzer, but well, I mean, well, the hair, I mean, for sure. When you go back, look up, look up Dave Meltzer and mullet on the, uh, you know, <laughs> and trust me as a guy who carried one for a long time himself, I can relate to this sort of thing. But, you know, when it happened with Dave was, uh, you know, essentially he became someone that like, oh, my gosh, Dave Meltzer was there a little bit of a mythical type figure. And because at the time there were no news outlets. To get someone like this on TV, you might have pro wrestling this week with Joe Pettacino or Bill Apter would be quoted. I mean, guys like this were, you know, quote unquote, wrestling journalists. There really wasn't a genre. And Dave essentially invented it by writing wrestling as a legitimate enterprise. And I learned so much about, you know, that helped me in my career with the NFL through pro wrestling. And Dave was always like, look, if it's the truth, you can write it. That's it. I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. If it's something that's fact, you're going to hurt people's feelings, but ultimately it's fact. And you'll actually earn more respect a lot of times by printing the truth than you would by trying to cover something up or pretending it doesn't happen. So, you know, to this day, a lot of folks that, that ripped on Dave Meltzer have had great relations with Dave after they've been ripped upon by him. You know, and, and of course, you know, he, he becomes now it's funny because so many podcasts, you know, you sit there and you criticize him and all. Oh, he never worked in the business or, you know, this isn't how it was. And you see this reinvention of history that's attempted to be going on by some other places. But it's all there in print. And trust me, I have every issue from March 2nd, 1987. <laughs> on cataloged i have saved all of it except this. the ones i lost except the ones you <laughs> lost See, that's going to help me because i know in the upcoming weeks when i receive these old yearbooks based upon my appearance here today my quid pro quo fee <laughs> i'll have i'll have closure in my life yeah this is no serious X, xm nfl radio this is uh this, we don't we don't pay for interviews but um uh <laughs> i remember actually i don't know if you remember this but one a memory that i'll never forget is um is is putting up posters. I don't even remember the town, but me and you drove out and we're putting up posters for the Global Wrestling Alliance for a show. Uh, just like like you said, trying to get your our feet in the door. Do you remember that? I, I remember that. I also remember being with Bill Alfonso at a show in Tallahassee for WCW when Gordon Soli was the event promoter, and we were handing out Sting watches. We had a thousand watches to give out and Fonzie and I are sitting there basically just schlepping these things to anyone. You know, we're schlepping the box around. We're giving them out to anyone that would take them. 
at the time. And I think, I think the house was like, you know, 1500 people or something, right. At the Tallahassee civic center. But that's what we did back then. And, you know, you did become a little bit a, a part of it, you know, at that time. And, and, you know, when, when you had that special entree, that special access to, to the guys, it's so different now, you know, when you look at all the different layers of television production or, you know, a company like WWE, where there's, you know, vice presidents and script writers and, you know, you name it. I mean, and, and you know, all the production crew, I mean, it's, it's very different. It is more like, you know, a play than it is actual pro wrestling like you and I were brought up. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. Look, there's some things that are great about the business today that you love. There's some things that, that make you lose interest in it. And I get all that. But it is one of the most fascinating industries to me because it's always evolving. And, you know, what pro wrestling was 10 years ago isn't what it was 10 years before that isn't what it was 10 years before that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I just think that's what's so interesting about it. It never stays never stays the same. It's always a static thing. There's always something happening that is changing the trajectory of the way the wrestling business works. Absolutely. Uh, Let's talk about you for a little bit in your your history. I I know that you wrote a uh, syndicated wrestling column for the Miami Herald uh, back when you were a beat writer for the Miami Dolphins. Did you ever think about going the way of Dave Meltzer or Wade Keller and trying just to focus on wrestling journalism or were you always, was football always your number one priority? Football was my number one priority, but, but Dave, I got to tell you that there really wasn't a whole lot of money in the wrestling journalism world unless you ran a newsletter. I ran a newsletter in college called Three Count and, and it was, you know, it had, you know, several hundred subscribers. I just couldn't keep it up and also, you know, cover you know, professional sports. I was a University of Florida football writer, you know, when I was in college in Gainesville and, you know, had, had all these different I'm jobs. Sorry, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> that, Go Gators. But the point is that, you know, Dave, it was like I, at the time there wasn't really a whole heck of a lot of money in pro wrestling. And the way I had to look at it was I need to I need to try to advance. I need to try to, you know, feed my family. And I did both for as long as I could. I, you know, when I left the Miami Herald, I went to Dayton, Ohio. I took the column with me when I went from Dayton to the Rocky Mountain News in Denver. I covered those two Broncos Super Bowl teams. I took the column with me and I continued to write it for Scripps Howard News Service till about 2012. And at that point, I got to be honest with you, I just lost interest in the product. I'm not a WWE fan. I don't watch it now. I watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. I watch Ring of Honor. I'll watch some independent stuff here and there. That's really more my speed. I'm, I'm just not a Vince McMahon fan. He will never get a dollar from me for anything. Uh, you know, wow. Yeah, no, I will not pay for a WWE product. I think it's just one of the, the worst human beings on the face of the earth. And, uh, you know, so I just will not, I just can't support it. I can't, and that's part of the problem as well. You become too close to this industry sometimes, and I did as, as a journalist. When you know how the sausage is made, you don't always want to eat the hot dog, if you understand what I'm saying. And that's, you know, when you look at Vince McMahon and the pressure that he put on people uh, to maintain certain types of body size before he was going to give them a push, which led to health issues, which led to deaths. You know, you look at the 1980s and the travel schedule, how he simply didn't care if guys never got home. He was going to book them on double shots, triple shots, led to extended drug use, alcohol abuse. And you see how many guys, you know, from that generation are still around. It's it's almost it's few and far between, which is really sad. And he was the guy pulling the strings on all of it. He simply didn't care. The only reason you have a WWE wellness program now is because people were dying. And because it's bad business when people die. So that's the type of person I think Vince McMahon is. So I lost interest in it, but I still I've I've regained some passion because of the New Japan stuff. I think, you know, because it's booked so smart. Right. I mean, you know, Gato is just the best booker in, in, you know, pro wrestling to me because everything makes sense. And there's so many little things that happen sometimes as well. You, you like hate to fast forward through any of their shows because I just think that everything has its place. And while it's, you know, almost like booking by the numbers type of, of you know, the way that Gato does Absolutely. his business, I still think it's effective. 
because it's simple. You can follow it. And, and the guy is the guy's brilliant. And the other thing, too, I don't know these guys. You know, they're in Japan. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The U.S. workers, I guess I can get to know. But really, too, it's, it's more like you don't really know. You know what I mean? So I don't have an attachment to, you know, the way the promotions run, all the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, I, I know I can get spoilers and learn a little bit, a bit about the guys. But reality is I just look at it now as an entertainment product. I enjoy it because I don't have to write about it. You know what? You know what you need to work on, Alex? Being a little bit more honest and upfront with your feelings. You know, it's it's okay to say what you know. <laughs> Being sarcastic. Well, you know, and that's the thing. And you know, that's what's nice about the wrestling business, too. Look, it's hard for some guys, honestly, if you're looking for a job to say something. Right. I, I mean, and that's really, you know, if you're if you're trying to get into, you know, back with a paycheck. And that's why Vince McMahon gets everybody back. I mean, what do we have? Ole Anderson. Is he the last Mohegan, so to speak? Is he? The I last think so. Yeah, I think so, right. actually. And, and, you know, when you read about it, it was interesting, like why Bruno Sammartino came back to WWE. It's because he was afraid that his legacy was going to be erased by the McMahon family because they control the history of the business. One of the reasons right now they're trying to get a statue of the crusher in Milwaukee, Reggie Legowski, is because they're afraid his family and, and friends of his that his legacy is going to be erased by WWE, that there's going to be a whole generation of people who don't know him because he never worked for Vince. He was a regional territory guy. And those guys are going to fade by the wayside as, as people get older and they die out and those memories don't get passed along because Vince also controls the AWA library. So you have to go. And I mean, well, you can find all these matches on YouTube. You got to dig a little bit. And younger fans may not know who these guys are. So I think that's important as well. You know, and Vince always, he wants to be, you know, of course it's an ego thing, right? You always want to have people come begging back to you because they need to feed their families or their egos are simply such that they need to be back in the wrestling business for some personal, you know, justification, you know, and, and it, Dave, look, I'm proud of you, how you've reinvented yourself in the real estate business and you're still involved in the business, but you're not, you know, sending out, you know, a hundred videotapes trying to announce shows across the country to keep yourself active. You know, you do your podcast, you do a great job with it, but you know, again, it, it's, it's hard. And listen, it, it's not easy to make that type of change. It's a little bit of a midlife type thing, right? And especially these wrestlers and, and Paul Heyman always said, go back to school, try to get a college degree, try to start looking for what you're going to do after this, because this business doesn't last forever. And it's accurate. You know, what happens when someone's 40 years old now? If you're in a wrestling territory and you're one of the top guys, you can still continue to work. And maybe there'd be a role for you afterwards. You know, the Gene Anderson type roles, things like that. Reggie Parks made belts, you know, things like this. But, you know, now what are those jobs? It's difficult for folks. And that's why so many are just desperate to hang on in the wrestling business and are afraid to really say a lot of things that are going to be, you know, controversial to cost them employment. I'll tell you what, when WCW went out of business, it was a. Uh... It was uh, talking about midlife crisis. It was a, a, a change to me. You know, I used to going out in front of, you know, an arena going, uh, good evening, you know, fill in the blank and getting a pop. That was my pop. And uh, and, and, and you take that for granted, quite frankly, because it, it, there's, it pumps up your adrenaline. And and, uh, and sometimes you get, a, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that while I was in WCW, I didn't get a little full of myself. But they'll bring you know, the one thing about getting a little full of yourself is when you no longer have anything, it'll bring it back down to earth real quick. Hey, hey, real quickly, because you've never experienced that because you've been very successful since you're being so honest. What's your take on the Colin Kaepernick situation? Uh, you know what? It's a couple things. Uh, he, you know, it may be proven, uh, you know, through his collusion case that Colin has every right, you know, to, to do what he does during the national anthem and that the NFL teams did conspire against him. Uh, and are not signing him because he's a lightning rod for controversy. But Colin Kaepernick has done himself no favors with, with the way he's handled this as well. You know, look, do you want to bring someone in? And we see, and I'm going to tie this back into pro wrestling, Dave. 
Mike Elgin right now is nuclear, right? Sure. Nobody wants to touch Mike Elgin because of, of the accusations of, of sexual assault uh, against, uh, you know, a woman that he was involved with. And also, you know, he was booking a wrestler and, you know, all these things that have come out. And Mike basically only works in Japan right now. Nobody will touch him. Well, in the case of Colin Kaepernick, you sign him to your team, expect your fan base to be upset, expect all the media attention to come with it, expect sponsors to drop out. All of those things. So is it really worth it to have Colin Kaepernick? Is he that good a quarterback that you're willing to accept all those things to bring him onto your team? No. And that's why we're at where we're at right now with Colin Kaepernick. Again, he may end up winning his collusion case, but in the long run, I don't ever think we see him back in the NFL at this point. I mean, look at some of the, the you know, the scrubs that we have right now on NFL rosters at quarterback. I mean, it, it's crazy. These guys aren't as good as Colin. We know that. But reality is, though, he did this to himself. Look, when you wear a shirt this says Kunta Kinte, you know, to a here to a collusion, uh, you know, uh, question and answer that they had with Bob McNair, the Houston Texans owner or a shirt that says slave patrol to one of the, you know, to the Baltimore Ravens hearing. Man, I mean, again, you're like saying, OK, look, I'm not going to change my ways. I'm going to continue to be a polarizing figure. Well, for NFL teams, they got to make a business decision and their decision is no Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, I don't think that he finds his way back. Like you said, it, uh, just the, the attention that I don't think he's he's that. You know, if, if you're Peyton Manning in the heyday, uh, you know, then then it might be, you know, worth the attention. Uh, I just don't think he's that good a quarterback. I think he's serviceable and you would know much better than I as an expert. But I just don't think he's 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 uh, valuable enough to come with all the, the distraction that comes with it. So I think you're right. I don't you know, I don't know too much about the collusion case, but uh, uh, but but yeah, as far as being back on an NFL team, I'm not so sure. Hey, real quick before we let you go. um. Pick pick a pick a Super Bowl winner for 2018 2019. I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints, believe it or not, and I actually think this is the year that they get it together. And I know the suspension of Mark Ingram for the first four games for a PED violation uh, is is bad. Oh, I didn't know about that. Is that new? And that uh, came out came out a day or two ago. But Mark Ingram is ah, uh, that's very good to know. As as somebody who was looking to draft <laughs> Alvin Kamara in every fantasy league I'm in, because I rode him to uh, three championships last year. I love it. And I know in the 27 leagues that you play in, you're right about that. So, Dave, so we look at, at that. That's not a good thing for the Saints. But I just think that, that this is a team that rediscovered some things defensively last year. The addition of Marcus Davenport, the first round pick, is going to help augment the pass rush. They sent some really good veteran players and Demario Davis, the linebacker, Kirk Coleman, the safety. And we know the Saints team can score points. Sean Payton knows what he's doing. I just think it's their time. And listen, they were one play away from the NFC Championship game against Philadelphia last year. Eagles are going to be tough. Vikings are going to be tough. I can tell you this, the NFC, I mean, really, that NFC Championship game may very well be the Super Bowl because the AFC just looks pretty drecky outside of the New England Patriots. And even the Pats have some issues right now. Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, they've got their feud going. It's like uh, Sammy Zahn and, and Kevin Owens with Daniel Bryan. You know, they're they're not happy with their situation with Bill Belichick. We'll see if that ultimately gets resolved. But who's who else excites you in the AFC? To top the Pats, uh, nobody really. So again, NFC is the power conference right now, and I think the Saints will get there and probably beat the Patriots once again. Hey, for somebody who doesn't follow WWE, you're sure up to date with the storylines. Just saying, I read. I read. <laughs> I have my Wrestling Observer. I get it every. Do week. you still get it? Of course. And do I you get a print edition or do you read it online? Print edition. And you know what I do after that? I put it away and I don't lend them to people because sometimes <laughs> things can happen where you don't get them back. So my feeling is that, yeah, you know, you sort of want to hold on to your stuff. So that that's what I've done with the wrestling observers. But every week I get it and I catch up on the news. And, I, you know, I just again, because you want to follow it and you also want to remain relevant. And one more thing on this, Dave, 
when I talk to players around the league, you know, they they love it when I talk pro wrestling because so many of them are big fans. So, you know, I can keep up on the industry. I just don't have to watch the product. I mean, that's funny. I was watching with a buddy. And I'm like, wait, is that Baron Corbin or whatever that guy's name is? Is that oh, that's Braun Strowman. That's what he looks like. I mean, really, like I don't follow this sort of stuff that in that way. I don't watch WrestleMania. I don't do any of that. But I do read up on the guys. And when I see a name and a face, I try to put them together a little bit. But I can tell you about New Japan Pro Wrestling and Toru Yanu and buying DVDs and things like that. So, yeah, you know, I'm OK with that stuff. All right, well, we might have to bring you back for a longer stint. I know you have a show to do. Uh, you can catch Alex Marvez on Sirius XM NFL Radio and also a columnist for the Sporting News uh, for the NFL and uh, at Alex Marvez on Twitter. So uh, long time no speak. Best to your family. Uh, great catching up. And I'll be I'll be working on those uh, observers. Uh, I'm a, as soon as I get off the phone, I'm going to call Meltzer. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the first thing you're going to do. And the second thing you're going to do is put up some anti-Trump stuff on your Facebook. I he think doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, Meltzer doesn't pick up the phone for me anymore. So, uh, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't called, I haven't called in a while, but, uh, the, the last couple of times I tried to call him, I don't even know what it's about, but, uh, I think promoting the, 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 uh, legends of wrestling that I was working with, with knobs and then promoting shows with them, seeing if he would, uh, give us a little extra attention. And, uh, yeah, he, 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 he I get the, I get the, uh, the answering machine still. Maybe it's because I, I told him you stole my I used to get the answering machine and once he heard, because he scans his call, so I used to get the answering machine and then he would pick up. Now now I, I kind of like start, hey, this is David Penzer, and then I pause, waiting for him to pick up. And no, he doesn't, he doesn't pick up. So don't to, wait too long. Don't wait too long. You might be there for a while. Dave, great hearing your voice, my friend. And again, by the way, I am so proud of you and everything. Thank you. You have worked tail off in this business. You do a great job in the real estate world. And obviously your fantasy football team is your passion now. So again, very happy to be speaking with you anytime you need me. Let Same me know here. Out. If you're ever in Tampa, give me a call. We got to go out oh, for definitely. a drink. I'll, I'll buy yeah. the drink and, um, and uh, uh, you know, I guess I owe you. All right, man. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Dave. City Ringside is sponsored by Good Cigar Company. Did you ever see a company and you thought to yourself, why the heck didn't I think of that? Well, when I saw Good Cigar Company, I'm being honest, I thought exactly that. And as you know, Father's Day is coming up. For Father's Day this year, do something different. No more golf balls, no more T-shirts or polos. Give Dad his own personal tobacconist with a Good Cigar Company subscription. It's a great price, $30 plus 10% off for City Ringside listeners. I, you know, I went to buy my adult son a cigar for his birthday, and I went into the shop, and I didn't know what I was looking at. It was confusing. It was intimidating. Good Cigar Company makes it simple. Just pick a strength level, and they send you top-shelf cigars at a great price, and they have thought of everything. Don't have the equipment, a humidor or a cutter? Good Cigar Company also makes that easy. Each pack comes with premium cigars and everything, and I mean everything, needed to light up the pack even acts listen to this this is cool as its own humidor so the cigars stay fresh for months if you go to goodcigar.co their website you can see what i'm talking about they have everything you need you get two premium cigars in a pack a double guillotine cutter humidity sealed pack as we said detailed tasting notes how to smoke a cigar guide they even throw in a pack of matches so you can light up when you're ready everything you need in one cool kit go to goodcigar.co that is goodcigar.co and use promo code ringside for 10 percent off any subscription for my listeners and it is a cool concept you're gonna love it for father's day or any occasion go to goodcigar.co 
All right, honored to have as our guest this week on City Ringside, a WWE Hall of Famer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, so happy to have him, the Birdman, Coco Beware. How you doing, Coco? Man, I am doing great, man. How are you guys are doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, we've been trying to do this for a while here, and uh, I appreciate you uh, making it work with your schedule. Hey, while I, well, before I start uh, with the questions, I got a question. Who's, uh, whose idea was Coco? Was that a promoter's name? Was that a nickname from when you were younger? How'd that come about? Now, you know good well, I'm not going to let a promoter name me Coco. Come on now. <laughs> my mother and daddy didn't did name me that. He's definitely not going to be a promoter named me Coco. Now, that was, uh, that came back in my, back in the early days of my life, uh, in, uh, football, high school football. Ah, gotcha. I was, uh, man, I was, I was the only, uh, uh, I was only black on the football team. And, uh, man, I stood out like a sore thumb. And so, and the guy started kind of, uh, Gave me a little nickname there, Coco, you know, and they were spelling it C O C O C O A or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, but I was kind of the big star there because I was I was making I was doing eleven tackles uh, in a ball game by myself and stuff like that. Man, I I was the only lineman that ever scored a touchdown. Wow! So that Coco was was hot as a pistol, man. <laughs> Who changed it to KOKO? I did, cause you know what I, you know I I, I didn't like the COCO and stuff like that because uh, it, it it was just more like a drink, <laughs> and uh, and I just I, and I, when I when I went to uh, actually when I went to Jamaica and stuff like that, I I saw. Uh, there was a big KOKO sign up there in Coco. And so I said, you know what? That makes, that makes my name sound better. It makes me feel better. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, really sound like a, a drink too much if I, <laughs> if I spell it KOKO. And uh, it was, so I, I took that, you know, I, I took it because you know, a lot of people, even today, like uh, I, uh, uh, that, uh, Entertainer calls Ice Cube or something like that. Right. I think his girlfriend, his girlfriend, his wife or something that names Coco. Yeah. Yes, it is. Ice T. And what she spells it? She spells it the O C O A or something like that. Yeah, there was an old time wrestler. I don't know if you ever ran across him in your territory days called Coco Samoa. Spelled it C O C O A. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So everybody. So I finally got something where nobody. Uh, is uh is using that KOKO, wasn't me? You know, I know Kevin O now is using that KO, like you know, but that's his name, Kevin O. But you know, he's just yeah, I dig it. I I, I I like the name and it's unique and uh and 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 hey, in this business you gotta you gotta stand out for sure. Speaking but I want to take but I want to take my hat off to uh, uh uh announcer, one of the greatest announcers in the world was Jim Ross that kept. Yeah, when I was in Mid South Wrestling under the promoter Bill Watt, uh, down in Houston every Friday night uh, we had wrestling in Houston, Texas, downtown Houston, Houston, Texas, under the promoter uh, Paul Bosch. Sure. I don't know if you heard him. Oh, absolutely! I was and, at uh, one of the shows when I was a kid. My dad took me on a on a business trip. Uh, Sam Houston College. Oh my God! 
mess. And and you know what? Every Friday night, uh, that he would come. Uh, Jim Ross would, would come up to me, and he would say, "Go." Oh, at the time, I was acting with a pretty young thing, right? The PYT that's expressed. And so he would come up to me, Coco B. He said, "He said Coco where." Coco where he kept saying Coco where, and then one Friday night he said Coco beware, uh, and he said you know what that's very catchy. He said, would you like to be called that? I said, I said, he said, I said what's the B mean? He said the B the B doesn't mean anything. Just it's catchy. Just Coco beware, you know, not B E, but just the letter B. And I, you know what, and 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 from. And then he announced me that night. I didn't know it, but he went on and announced me as as uh, the Coco Beware, Doorbell Austin, and Coco Beware. You know, and and that name it just it just got catchy, and and I just took it and ran with it. But Jim Ross came up with the, the letter B. Yeah. Uh, well, that just answered one of my questions. I could check off my list, but. Uh... Uh, cause I was wondering how you got to, from Coco where to Coco beware, but yeah, I agree with Jim Ross. It's certainly more catchy and, uh, hell you wrote but, it. But let's, let's back up a little bit. I mean, uh, I mean, we, we let's back up a little bit, uh, before then when I got in the restaurant, I started out as the Coco kid. Oh, I didn't know that. Because I was, I was young then, you know, I was just got out of high school and stuff and, and uh, I was I was Coco kid, and then I, as I as I got older, I said, you know, we got to change this, man. I, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. <laughs> so speaking about getting into business, you broke in around in the late '70s. I'm assuming you were a wrestling fan. Is that correct? Most people were that got in the business. Well, you know, everybody. I mean, all the guys would probably say they're not. They have they're not a wrestling fan, but I guarantee you. They are a wrestling fan. They are a spectator when it comes down to this business. They they came and saw Coco Beware back in the day. They came and saw some of their favorite heroes that they wanted to be like, you know. And that's the reason why that John Cena and, and The Rock and Jerry Lawler, uh, Vince McMahon, uh, Triple H, all of those guys, you know, The Undertaker. You know, it's just, the, you know, the list go on and on and on. They, they was all wrestling fans. Yeah. They was, you know, they, I'm, I'm sure they bought a ticket to come and see one of their, you know, the, the, the I don't know if they had favorites or whatever, but they, they enjoyed, they, they loved the show, what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I know for sure Triple H, because uh, he was, when he was John Paul Levesque in WCW just breaking in. He used to travel with me and Pee Wee Anderson, the referee, and uh, so I got to know him pretty good back then. I haven't spoke to him in a long, long time. But, uh, but well, you, does, does he even talk to you? I never, you know what? I've never tried. I often, you know, every once in a while, I would, I, I'll say to my wife, you know, I'll say, I wonder if he would take my, you know, it's funny, and I don't want him. I'm not trying to embarrass him. He was young. He was breaking into business, and uh, sometimes uh, we would, uh, he would need a ride. You know, if his car broke down or, or you know, right. whatever. So it was funny because I had a, uh, you know, I wasn't making much money in WCW. I was just starting out. Uh, and I had a white station wagon and I had two young children in, in car seats. So I don't know that I've ever told this story on this on the podcast, quite frankly. But uh, what the hell? Um, 
So whenever he would need a ride, he would have to sit in the back seat between. Now, if I knew if I knew then what I know now, I just sat in the back seat between the two kitty kitty seats, the baby seats. And I'd have let him sit in the passenger seat up front. But who the hell knew what was going to happen? But um, well, nobody knows what the future is going to hold. <laughs> so he would sit back there between my two little baby boys in their car seats. And, you know, we'd well, drive. at the time, he probably, he, probably, he probably enjoyed himself sitting back there with the kids. Yeah. You know, and I got my hotel room paid for and my car uh, paid for. So that was one of the reasons why me and Pee Wee sort of started riding together. I think it was a mutual advantage because Pee Wee didn't have to pay for his share of that. And then I also got to learn the ropes of the road from Pee Wee Anderson. So we kind of used each other at the beginning and what blossomed into a a, a, a family friendship until he passed, unfortunately. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, and so me and Pee Wee sort of decided to take this young, you know, good looking muscular kid under our wing. So he would ride with us and, and, uh, and he would see, he would sleep on the, uh, the rollaway and, and, uh, and, you know, driving the back well, of my sure car. Not. He, he hadn't forgot about it. I don't know. Like I said, I often say to my wife, like, I wonder, I, I wonder if he'd take my call now, if I, if I wanted something, the problem I'm is, sure, I, bet, I bet he will, because you know what I'm saying? I, I don't think he, I don't think he's like that. Cause I don't really don't know, uh, triple that, a uh, hundred that much. You know, just heard, I just heard a lot some, some things from the boys about hunter and stuff like that. But I mean, I don't, I don't know him personally and, and stuff like that. When I met him and he was Stephanie, you know, it was just, you know, icing on the cake. I yeah. mean, you know, it just was no problem and all that stuff like that. So that's how I look at people, you know, I, I regardless how, you know, of course, you know, you got, you got a lot of wrestlers out there. You know, some of them, some of them made it and some of them didn't make it. And so there's a lot of bad blood out there, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah, I just just to follow up just to follow up the point. I just don't have reason to call him. While I'd love to, you know, everybody, you know, I as being as you know, I'm, uh, you know, I worked in the office. I worked behind the scenes for the Legends of Wrestling. I worked behind the scenes with, uh, and I want to talk about Corey Macklin later with Corey and Jimmy uh, up in Memphis. I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and I like that even more than announcing. Uh, but and I'd love to do that, obviously in WWE. But I just won't move to Connecticut. So I I got nothing to call him for because he's not going to offer me an office job and say you could live in Tampa. So uh, so, but uh, I often wondered that. But interesting story. I've never well, told that you, before. But you know what I'm saying? But keep the door open because you don't never know. No, you don't never never say no because you you don't never know what's what's going to happen, what the future is going to hold for you and your family, man. Yeah. And so for I sure. mean just. Just be grateful. Just be grateful that hey, you got a chance to to uh, experience to tell stories about you and Triple H, but yeah. was together and stuff like that. And it's a li- and it's not a lie; it's a living truth. Yeah, it was, you know. So, so that that means even more. Yeah, very young in his career, but uh, he was uh, he was always good right. to me. Uh, so you so. Uh, you get your first big program in Memphis uh, uh, against Jimmy Valiant. Uh, what, what, what was that? You had wrestled what, two or three years, uh, before, before that, uh, what were you, where were you wrestling around and how'd you finally catch a break? Well, I was, uh, actually, uh, uncle, uncle Elmer, Elmer, right. As, uh, everybody knows him as big Plyboard Frazier and stuff like that. He's the one actually helped me got, uh, got a break in, in the wrestling business. Special in Memphis, 
he was a good friend of Jerry the King Lawler, and uh, and he told Lawler, said, Jerry, maybe you ought to take a look at this kid here. Golly, he is he is dynamite, man. I'm telling you, he he can uh, he can fly, man. He can do it all. And so Jerry said, uh, I tell you what, why don't you bring him bring him over to a little town called Wildville, Wildville, Arkansas, and uh, we'll take a look at him because they ran wrestling every Friday night over there. Wow. And it was, when I got over there, man, it was packed. I'm talking about people just hanging from the rafters, man. It was so hot and packed in that there in the American Legion building. I could not believe it. I, I, didn't think, I didn't think they had many people in there, but I was just, I was just shocked, man. I was just, I was, and uh, so I went out there to Lawler. I met Lawler and stuff like that. And, and Lawler said, well, I want to see what you can do tonight. I want you to put you in the ring with uh, this guy called Frankie Lane. Wow, he was a big high flyer, you know, and, and he's from Canada. And Frankie Lane was, man, I saw him on TV a lot of times. And, man, he was just up and down, up and down, up and down, least problem, do this, do that. Give toss and all that kind of stuff. I mean, nonstop. You know, it's just like, can we take a breath, a, a break for a second? I mean, I mean, and, and we went and we went out there and we tore the house down, man. I'm telling you, and it was, and I must, I must say, man, I, I was, I was kind of, ner- I was nervous a little bit, but I was saying, but I, I hung with Frankie, and we got back, man, Blawers and said, man. And you make Memphis TV, uh, this is Friday now, and start tomorrow, tomorrow morning, Saturday morning. We need you on live TV Saturday morning. Golly, man, we we got to get you on, on, on TV. Man. I mean, y'all, y'all went out there and had one hell of a match and stuff like that. So I said, sure, I'll make the TV. And then when I got, got the Memphis and everything, first time I ever went, you know, I'm just a country boy from Union City, Tennessee, you know. Sure. I, I'm not used to uh, all of these big big uh, buildings and, and all these big lights and stuff like that, man. I was just kind of froze to death. I was just, man, I was more excited seeing Memphis. All these big tall buildings. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> believe it. You know, and uh, when I finally get, I get to, uh, in fact, I had to get my dad to, Technical, I didn't know anything about Memphis, and, and we found it, found the TV station that was on Union Avenue, Channel Five. And then when I went in there, I saw Mr. Jerry and uh, met all the rest of them, Jerry, Jerry, uh, Jerry uh, Jeff, Jerry's father, sure. and uh, uh, Bill Duncan. Uh, I mean, I mean, I met a lot of the big guys, and, and of course, Bob Ward Frazier was there. Like that. So I. I so they put me in the ring with the biggest, like the biggest monster they could find out of Canada, out of Canada, was Joe LaDuke. Oh, I loved it. One of the best heels oh, in the business. Yes. I mean, one of the, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but he, 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 I thought he was the, the, the biggest, roughest looking, scary man I'd ever seen in my life. And and he come over and looked at me. Yeah, I'm gonna bust you up, kid. Yeah, I'm gonna bust you up. Yeah, you better get ready. And I'm going, oh my God, Lee. And you know what? And, and when I got out there, I mean, we had a match. And I thought we had a match anyway. He had a match. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was it was just man, it was it was great. 
I mean, but he just tossed me. He told me all kind of ways and stuff like that. And I just did all nothing but bump, 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 bump. And uh, he finally said, kid, I want you to body smell me. I said, what? <laughs> I want you to body smell me. I said, I can't body smell me. Yes, you can. And, and he, he, he set me up to body slam him. And the crowd went crazy. And I'm going, and Law and them was, Jerry Lawler is about to have a heart attack back in the back. <laughs> oh, my God. I Joe, why are you going off your feet? Why are you going off your feet? Why did you take that bump? Oh, my God. We got me and you. We are in the main <laughs> event coming up with this Monday night and stuff like that. And here it is. You take a big bump. Oh, my God. You take the bump with this guy here. He said, Jerry, I have, I have to give this kid stuff. And he bumped so beautiful for me. I had to do this for me, for him. I had to do this for him. I said, oh, my God. I said, Joe, I didn't want to do it. Yes, I want you to do it, though. And, and I told Long, I said, I didn't ask, I didn't even call that. And I said, you know, I, I, I was real green. I said, I didn't know what to do with it. He the one told me to do it. <laughs> and then Long said, oh, well, I, okay. So Long just, man, he got very upset at Joe LaDuke about that. Yeah, because because he had to work with them in the Mid South Coliseum, and it, you know he was working yeah, off a house. See, Joe, Joe never been off his feet. No, he was. I, I, I tell you what, whole time. one of my one of my favorite heels of all time. I, I'm a, as you know, I'm a, I grew up on championship wrestling from Florida, and uh, he did a he did a heel turn. Uh, he was like you know the nice baby face lumberjack, the smiling lumberjack, and he actually was funny. He did a heel turn where. Um, I think it was Jimmy Garvin uh, showed a uh, tape of him doing something like, you know, crazy in Memphis. Actually, it was it was from the Memphis tapings where he was like be, like he was a heel. So they like exposed him as really not being the nice guy. And then he uh, he changed he changed into that crazy character with eyes. And then he he, he, he t- put Jim Garvin in a bear hug and Jim Garvin was had blood coming down his, his mouth and. And 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 it was I'll never. It's one of the greatest angles in Florida history. I'll never forget it. People still talk about it oh, to this day. Oh my God, it was great. And it was funny that they used the Memphis uh, tape of him being a heel. But uh, but uh, so tell me about. Um, I love these stories. We could go on forever, but I know your time is limited. Uh, tell me about being in Jimmy Hart's first family. Well, see, that's another thing. I mean, I was just. I didn't know. I didn't know which way to go and stuff like that. Uh, and then finally, uh, we did a. Uh, they did an angle where I became a, a special referee. That I was a referee, and then I turned uh, against the uh, Jerry Lawler, uh, Tom Rich, or somebody. I can't remember now, but uh, I didn't. It, it, uh, I ended up hitting Lawler. Uh, Lawler pulls the he pulls the chain out. And so I end up the referee. I end up grabbing the chain from Lawler, and I turn around and I nail Lawler with the chain. And 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 uh, Tom Rich uh, got a cop. Uh, Tom Rich got a fall on it. One, but Tom like uh, Tom Rich. I'm all excited. Tom Rich went over on him. One, two, three. Right. And once I knocked him out with the chain, and and and, and uh, so, so the next day, I mean the next oh, the next week, well we we are Channel Five wrestling. Well, here comes Jimmy Hart of the mouth of the mouth <laughs> of the world. He coming by. I call that's what I call it, the mouth of the world, not the mouth of the south. But uh, he said, "Coco, man, you gonna be with us, man? You gonna be? We, we're gonna induct you into the first family." I said, "What?" 
<laughs> and I'm now I'm nervous again, man. And golly, I mean, you know, because I didn't know uh, I was the good guy, guy for a while, and then when, when I turned back, you know, when Jimmy Hart, you know, the first family, man, I just got really, really cocky and nasty, and, and man, I'm telling you, everybody said they loved me as a heel back in the day. I I, I wish I could have shared that some of that heel illness when I was with uh, WWE, but uh, Vince was. This would not even uh he would not even let me let me be a heel at all. You know, he said, No, ain't no way of letting I'm gonna let the bird man come be the heel. No, no, man. Well, the, no, the, the, the kids loved you and the fans loved you as the bird man and we'll get to exactly. that. We'll certainly that's, get to that. So I understand what he's what he's talking about. So they, they changed your name at this point to Sweet Brown Sugar. Any reason? Maybe just because they didn't want they, they didn't well, want people change uh cheering cocoa, so they changed your name? Yeah, they, you know, they, I, I, uh, I shaved my own head. I didn't get a, I didn't get a, 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 a mat where I lost my hair, I, and I came up, and then so they talked, they thought about the sweet brown sugar. So I used the sweet brown sugar, and guess who got really pissed off about it? It was Skip Young Skip down Young. in Dallas, Texas, world world class wrestling, and he called me up and said. said who gives you that? Who gives you the right to be sweet brown sugar? I said, hell, I am sweet brown sugar. <laughs> I said, all you got to do is look at me. I said, what color are you? I didn't even know Skip Young, you know, at oh, first. You know, yeah. I, I didn't even know him. And, and, but, uh, and I wouldn't even try to, I didn't even know. I, in fact, Jimmy Hart never came up with sweet brown sugar. So I went with it. But I, uh, I kind of defend myself when, Kim Young was calling me up and talking about that uh, you you don't have the right to be sweet brown sugar. And then when we meet and all that stuff, we'll see who's the real sweet brown sugar. And that kind of really pissed me off when he said that. And I'm telling you, and, and I couldn't wait to, to meet the uh, uh, Skip Young because you know I, I said okay, well we're gonna have these two sweet brown sugars go at it, <laughs> and then we're gonna see who's who is the sweetest one of, of all. <laughs> You know, did so, you ever did you ever meet him? Met, you know, I finally met him uh, when I was a, a PYT, right? And then uh, when I went to went, went the world class, North North Austin and I went to world class. So when I went to world class, uh, Skip Young came up and, and said, "Hey, I'm the sweet brown sugar that you had in Memphis." I said, "Okay, yeah, I've been wanting to meet you." I said, "What was this you were saying about?" Uh, you you want to chastise me or do something, whatever? I said, is this what you? I said, I said, repeat what you were just saying because I was getting ready to knock him out. <laughs> you know, because uh, I mean, you know, he already fluffed my feathers and stuff like that because the way he threatened, you know, he kind of gave me a little threat there. I don't, you know, I just I, that's the only little incident that I I had, you know, but it was just. It, we didn't really go no further. No better just to hey man, forget about it. We got here to make money and stuff like that. And so I said, Skip, I, all that's over with, man. You know that was in Memphis, Tennessee. The people down here, they, they don't even know nothing about that. I was a sweet brown sugar or whatever. Sure, back in the you day, know? you know, unless you read a, you know the magazines, uh, you wouldn't really know. Uh, and and right. he he wore a mask though, a sweet brown sugar, correct? Right. He, I guess he did. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He had a he 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 was he was a really talented wrestler, but he had a like a glass eye, and it was really awkward. And I think it 
I think it, that uh, and that you know it hurt his push because you know it just kind of he looked. It didn't, I, I I don't mean to to talk negatively if somebody has a glass eye, but it just it wasn't a very good one. So they put a hood on him. They changed his name, called him Sweet Brown Sugar, and they put like um like a little uh uh silver sparkly uh stuff around the eyes so you couldn't tell and he got over like a million bucks with the mask on because he could do the high flying moves and uh you know he's he's a good baby face but uh you know it it it, it was you know so maybe that's why he got offended because uh that he finally found uh, he was skip young for the longest time and kind of didn't do much and finally found fame and fortune a little right. bit as sweet brown sugar with the hood but uh, i mean you know what i did i, I did the same thing that he did uh, I had a loser leave. I was going to bring uh, that up. I was gonna okay. Br- uh-huh. I was going to bring that up. So, uh, so first, before we get to that, I wanted to ask you, uh, you teamed for a while and feuded for a while with uh, Bobby Eaton, who's a, a great friend of mine. And as we say here, often one of the nicest guys in the business. Uh, any Bobby Eaton stories was, I'm assuming he was just as nice, if not nicer as back then as he is now. Man, Bobby, Bobby and I, we got along great. He was my first, uh, he was my first tag team partner, and man, I'm telling you, I, I, I really admire Bobby a lot. I mean, I, a lot of respect for him. I love him. I mean, golly, I, I mean, when I when I run into him now, when I see him now, man, I'm telling you, just like man, I just I just can't stop hugging on him and stuff. Bobby, you know, this, and we laugh and we talk and stuff like that. I mean, cause. I mean, we we rode up and down the road together over in uh, Memphis territory and stuff like that, and and, and uh, we made some money. We we got over at Ebony and Ivory and, and the Paul McCourtney and and and, uh, and uh, Stevie Wonder came out with that song Ebony sure. and Ivory. Sure. I mean, golly, Bobby and I we had T-shirts together and stuff like that, and we got over in Memphis. Tennessee. The people loved us, man. I mean, golly, they, we was incredible because we can just look at each other and tell what kind of move, movement that we're going to make and stuff like that. Now, did he have, did he travel with uh, 20 pairs of socks and five sewing kits when he was uh, in Memphis back in the day? Well, you know what? If he did, he, he must have kept kid for me because I never did <laughs> when, when he was at WCW, you'd look at his bag. There'd be at least twenty pair of socks rolled up and five sewing kits. And like he was like before, you know, they had now in in in, in WWE and for uh, at the very end in WCW, they had like a seamstress and all that. But before that, Bobby was a designated seamstress because he knew how to sew and nobody well, else. Did. Back to the day, that's what we all did. We carried our sewing. We uh, we carried our sewing kit with us. Sure. I mean, that's what he was. You had. You carry, you had to carry your chain. You had to have a, you had to have a chain in your bag. You had to have a silver. You know, you had to have a band aid. Sure. You had to have a, a needles and thread and stuff like that. I mean, it would be it was it would be no surprise to me sitting over over in the corner watching us. Watching uh, Bobby, watching myself, watching the uh, uh, journal owner and somebody uh, uh, sewing it, sewing it up and stuff. Sure, it was. Uh... I mean, without you won't see that now at all. I mean, I mean, it's, that's that's how it was. We just 
we uh we we just took care of uh, our equipment and stuff like that. Even like Nikolai Volkov, I mean, believe about the opportunity. He's the cheapest man in professional <laughs> wrestling. That's the why he's he's the, that's the reason why he's probably a millionaire now because he would take some uh the tar. I mean, the, the rubber off her car and put on his wrestling boots. Oh, he, yes, he would cut the rubber off her car and take it to the take it to the shoe store and get them sold. He had wrestling. He had Michelin on the part of his wrestling boots that lasted for a lifetime. Yeah, he, he's. Uh, he I've, I've heard the stories about him uh, being. Uh, that there's there's uh, I heard there's still checks that has, he hasn't cashed. Probably so. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, golly, we sit there and, and, and we, when he got a when he uh, got a hotel, he, he stayed at the cheapest hotel and he brought his little pots and pans and he cooked out of it. He sit there and cooked it for, in, in his hotel. Yeah, a lot of the old timers did that, and uh, uh, you know, I guess that's just how they were brought up. They you know get tuna or. Uh, sardines and and they had yeah. a little hot. Yeah, a little hot plate. Uh, so you mentioned it a little bit. Um, you lost a loser leave town match, I believe, to Bobby, and um, came back as Stagger Lee, a masked uh, wrestler who who looked exactly like Sweet Brown Sugar and formerly Coco Beware, and. Uh, and and I'm wondering, was uh, was Stagger Lee any relation to the Midnight Rider? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, I called him JYD, and I because he was a Stagger Lee down in Louisiana. Yeah, he was doing the same gimmick. Right, and uh, I called him up and he, and I asked him about. Could I be staggerly up here in Memphis? Would he mind and stuff like that? Because I, I knew JYD. I didn't know anything about Steve Young. Right. And JYD said, "Hey, it's fine." He said, "Go for it, man." He said, "I'm telling you, it don't, it won't bother me at all." Comes, we, I'm down here using it, and, and uh, you up there using it. Nobody knows it. And so. And, and when I took when I took that gimmick on, man, I'll tell you, I was dressed. I mean, three three piece suits and a hood. When I step out of the car, man, I was staggerly was clean. And the people, I mean, they the people loved it, man. They just loved me. They played. Then they then I had this old staggerly music. Staggerly, yeah. oh my god, man! I'm telling you. I got over big time in uh, with the with the Stagger League gimmick. And and for those fans who are newer to wrestling business that might be listening that are wondering what we're talking about, in almost every territory, a babyface would lose at some point would lose a loser leave town match, and they'd come back as a mask guy who was obviously uh, in your in your case obviously Coco Beware, JYD's case obviously Junkyard Dog, Dusty Rhodes obviously the Midnight Rider. You didn't try to pretend it was somebody else. The whole gimmick was. Uh, and I'm just telling this for people who might not uh, watch territorial wrestling. The whole gimmick was that the heels kept trying to unmask you because if they took the the, uh, the the mask off and exposed you uh, as violating the agreement of the loser leave town match, then you would be like banned for life or banned for a year. So that was the whole gimmick right. of, uh, of of trying to expose you. And 
And, you know, they did it in a lot of territories and uh, in the NWA with the Dusty and the Midnight Rider. But uh, but you you were staggerly and uh, cool that JYD uh, uh, was cool with it. JYD was a good guy. And uh, he named oh, he didn't have no problem. When I first started while working in WCW behind the scenes, I used to run guys for interviews and get people to sign release sheets and all that. And he named me Walking Man. He says, "Hey, Walking Man," and, he, and and to this day, people still call me Walking Man. I'll, on Facebook, I'll I'll hook up with somebody, you know, that like JD Wolf. I don't know if you know JD Wolf or somebody like that who used to, you know, uh, do enhancement stuff, and uh, he'll say, "Hey, Walking Man, how you doing?" So the name stuck. God bless JYD. Oh, okay. And uh, he also got my my friend Pee Wee Anderson that we were talking about got a break because. Uh, uh, Bill Watts needed somebody. He was refereeing, but he was uh, the second referee and one making much money. But uh, Bill, uh, Bill Watts needed somebody to make sure that JYD got around and made sure he made the towns and all that. So uh, they would uh, they paid uh, Pee Wee to uh, to sort of babysit uh, JYD, make sure he, uh, he 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 behaved and uh, and it sort of helped him get his gig in WCW. So. But. Uh, I wonder how much did that cost? Yeah, yeah. I, he he said he got better paydays for getting JYD to the towns than he did for refing. So uh, yeah, I was going to say he must have paid it pretty good because <laughs> that's, that's a hard job, really. Well, in all fairness, and you work the territory. I mean, you know, the the, the the territorial business. You know, there was a lot of driving anyway. But uh, the stories I've heard and the you know driving up and down the roads. Of uh of of that territory when I was in WCW only having to go you know from one town to another town to a nitro so I'm only going three towns they're doing seven towns every week nonstop and you know there was four hundred oh, five hundred mile drives and you know you, you, I know it. and so, you know what uh, Reason Smith drove every last mile of the way I mean he he in Dallas Chile and he drove that Chile. I think Grizzly Smith, when he traded at Chevrolet in, that in college Chevrolet, he had like 600,000 miles in Chevrolet. Yeah, and there was no satellite radio. There was no internet. There was no cell phones. It was just you and whatever music, uh, whatever cassette tape you could put in the car. But uh, so interestingly enough, you had mentioned the PYTs. You and Norval Austin, you had runs around different territories. And you ended up back probably because Jim Ross had named you uh, Coco Beware and 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 saw something in you, but I'm just assuming that. So tell me if I'm wrong. But you ended up in um, in Mid South uh, where you took on the Birdman with uh, the mannerisms from the, the the song "The Bird" by Morris Day and the Knights, where it was actually a dance, and you started coming out to that song and wondering whose idea that was, and and if you thought at the time. It would have the literally change your career and change your life. Well, I'm telling you, I started actually. I started out as, as uh, I was the Birdman anyway. Uh, uh, down here, Memphis. Then I went when I came back, and then I went uh, went out in the out in the circuit. Okay, then uh, and uh, and my my uh, my next day was. My next town actually was, was uh, uh, Mid-South. Right. And I was the Birdman then. I was the Birdman Coco Beware. I had birds on my pipe. And I was named the Birdman Coco Beware. Well. And who's my, that, uh, whose idea? Was that your idea? 
Yes, I'm, I'm, just, I'm getting to that. Oh, sorry. I'm getting to that. Yeah, my, uh, my wife, uh, God bless the heart, she's deceased now. Sorry to With breast cancer. Oh, so sorry. And, uh, but she, uh, she, was a cheerleading, she was a cheerleading dancer, a teacher with all the little young kids and stuff like that. And, and she was off, and since, uh, she came up, actually she came up with the giving. Because, wow. uh, I mean, with the parent, she came, because she went into a, inside, she went to a pet store and she saw this blue and gold McCall bird and uh, they took a picture of it and brought it to me, a Polaroid picture. And, and uh, I said, honey, we, if we can afford you get one of these birds here, man, then this will be great for your, to help your gimmick, the bird man get, get over this, this, this uh, blue and gold McCall. I said, yeah. This, this would be nice, stuff like that. And then, like, uh, two weeks later or uh, something like that, then that's when I get a call from uh, from uh, WWF. Uh, I can't say F. Let's say, say, no, let's you say can, WWE. You can, you can say now. it, WWF. Okay. But, uh, you know, I got a call. Uh, uh, it was Howard Finkel. Howard Finkel was, was uh, they called me up and, and, and you know what? I thought it was a real person. I thought the guys was, was really, really me. Every I story, you know, I got it. Sorry to interrupt, but every story back from those days, uh, from Jimmy Hart telling the story to Hillbilly Jim to everybody telling the story, especially the Memphis guys for whatever reason. I guess Austin Idol did a pretty good Vince impression. So everybody, everybody from that from that area uh, tells the story. Uh, that they thought it was a rib when they got the call from WWF. Uh, Jimmy Hart tells the story, and and yeah, like I, I mean, I, yeah, right. <laughs> you, you're exactly right, and I couldn't believe it. And and uh, you know, how we would get on the phone? Hey, this is Howard Finkel, Coco. How you doing? All this stuff, WWF, and all that. And, and uh, this would love to have uh, look for you to come up and have a meeting with him and stuff like that. And see if you like you want to do better. With your career, and I couldn't. I said, "Who is this?" <laughs> okay, this is Howard Finkel. And I said, "No, it's not Howard. It's not Howard Finkel. Why would you? Why would you want to call me of all people? Of all people, why would y'all want to call me? When Vince wanted to talk, Coco, I'm telling you, just I, I said, "No, I said, come on, guys. I said somebody's playing, and one of the boys down here is playing as Howard Finkel. <laughs> He's been changing boys around, and and uh, he he's got that real deep voice, Howard Finkel, sure. and all this stuff. And, and so, so Howard said, "You know what, Coco? I tell you what. Right, get a pen, pen a piece of paper. Put my name. Here's my number. Two o three number. Okay, I'll be right back. So I called him. The Jericho two o three and and." Found out this Connecticut air, air, sure. uh, air and so when I when I called when I called, he asked the phone. Then I knew it wasn't real. I said, "Oh." So he said, "Well, Coco, uh, yes, now now do you believe me?" He said, "I'm not really. He's not, no, I'm, I'm doing this for a best friend. Band. He he wants to bring you up. He loves he loves your your, your 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 talent and stuff like that. He loves to bring you in and and wants to talk to you." Talk to you about you know if, if you want to make a move that's up to you that's totally up to you we don't want to step on your on bills tolls anything like that we just 
we just want to see, you know, just make an offer to you, and, uh, and uh, he wants to fly you up and all this stuff. But do it on your time off. Don't just do it on your wrestling day and stuff like that because you don't want to mess Bill Card up or anything like that. So they was real nice about it, you know, very yeah. professional and stuff like that. So and then when I talked to him, so I came back and I talked to Bill Watts about it and stuff like that. And meantime, Bill really wasn't doing anything with me. He was just kind of just had me on the card and stuff like that. He wasn't really pushing me. So JYD done left, and he was trying to get all all the black wrestlers he could to fill in JYD spot, but you couldn't do that. You couldn't fill in his spot. You yeah. had to you have to be yourself, you know. Sure. And so and so uh, so I talked to Bill about it, and Bill hit paid all. Bill took me up to a hotel, and me and, me and him went in his room, and and we talked and we talked and talked. He was talking. They, they're not going to do anything with you and stuff like that. They don't like the little short guys and stuff like that. They're not going to, you know, they like those big monsters. I'm telling you, you're going to make a, a bad move and you're going to wish you had a stage down here. But, and uh, I said, well, Bill, I got to go up there and I got to go up there and see what, he, what, what, he, what he's talking about and see what he's going to offer me. Sure. I said, Bill, you're really not doing anything with me right now. I said, you're not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, we just get ready to do stuff with you and stuff like that. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? <laughs> I know it. I know it works. It's just, you know, I, I, so I didn't know I learned from business, and I was there five years before I even went anywhere, and, and I was kind of, you know, I won a greenhorn about the business when, when, when I went to the territories because I learned a whole lot uh, under Jerry Lawler and uh, big time, you know? Sure. And Lawler taught, taught me a lot. And uh, so, so with Bill, Bill said, "Yeah, you can go, go ahead and, uh, and and go up there and stuff like that." And so when I came, when I had went up there and they had the meeting with Vince McMahon and stuff like that, and then you know, we came uh, when the meeting was over. For some reason, my wife put this bird in my pocket, in my in my front uh, front uh, shirt pocket, and she said, "If he mentioned anything." about the word Frankie. Show him this picture. I said, oh, okay, honey. So wow. when I, the meeting was over, as I walked out, this back said, Coco, I turned around. He said, is there anything else that you'd like to, like to have for your gimmick? And I said, you know what, Vince? I don't know how, how you came up with it, but I would love to have this beautiful Louis Dover called Bird. He's oh my God! I can't believe it. Now we got a you. You want to carry this parrot around everywhere you go? You know you're gonna be traveling all over. I said, this is gonna help me really get over. Oh my! He said that's a great idea. He said I love it. Now we have a dog. Now we have. (laughs) Now we have a snake. Now uh, Steamboat has a dragon. Or whatever he said. Now we have a bird. I said, "Oh my God, I can't believe it!" You know. So, so when I went back to Bill, so when I went back to Bill, I told him, to Bill, I think I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, accept this like man's uh, 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 deal and stuff like that. I want, I want, I want to better myself and stuff like that. And of course, Bill was just, "Oh man, they're not going to do that with you until you now and stuff like that." But the, you know what? After I went up there. 
because, you know, they didn't beat me like a drum like they're doing the guys now. I'm, I'm going to say this like they're doing the black guys now. They are killing all the black guys up there. And I don't, I don't know why, you know, and it's, and, 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 and it's terrible how, how the guys up there, and they can make money. They can draw money. They can go against a, a Brock Lesnar uh, and stuff like that. They can, you know, like Big E, I mean, Big Ed or whatever his name is. He could draw money. He came in as, as a real tough guy. Like a, but look at it now. You know, now they turn him to little dancing bears and stuff like that. And that's <laughs> not right. You know, myself, I mean, I went up there and, and I was up and down the, the cars and stuff like that. You know, I, I was up and, and I'm not saying these guys, I'm not putting these guys down. They got power, but they won't use them. What I'm saying, they won't put them in a money spot. I'm just telling the truth like it is. Yeah, I think they, they put them in. Have you seen it? I don't know how much you watch it. Have you seen that they they brought Bobby Lashley back in? I think they're going to put Lashley with Lesnar since they both have UFC backgrounds. Okay, well, what I'm saying is they brought they brought Bobby back in and stuff like that. But the thing about it is not only just. Bobby's, uh, he was a, what, a fighter? Yeah, he's a ultimate fighter guy. Okay, well, what I'm saying, though, but see, I mean, but he, he's like, he won one of the boys, what I'm saying, like, like, uh, 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 uh the New Day team, uh, what's the other guy, uh, uh Titus. Titus O'Neil, yeah, he's, uh, he's a Tampa guy. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we talk about it, guys, like that, I mean, here it is, just because they would they, they fight, you know, the guy he can fight, you know, uh, with, with with the other other companies, stuff like that, you know, then they want to use them. Well, you know, what I'm saying is that eventually they're not, they're not doing anything with the girls. They're not doing anything with the guys up there. You know, uh, and the only way, they're, they're, every time somebody's going to lose a match, if they're black and white, they're going to be off. And, and I'm, not pre- I'm not saying I'm prejudiced. I'm not. I'm not prejudiced at all. I'm just telling it like it is. Because I want, I want, I want, I want, I want our business to, uh, I want our business to be equal. Where, sure. where the blacks got a chance to be, where the, because there's a lot of black people out there spending their money on, 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 on the wrestling business. And sure. they would love to see black champions and stuff like that. The ladies, black champions and stuff like that. I mean, you know, uh, you know, you know, you just don't dog them all out. What they're doing now, they're dogging them all out. There's no black on top except when the rock come in. Yeah, it seems to me. Uh, uh, it seems to me that whether you, unless your name is Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, or a couple other guys, it seems to me that uh, black, white, yellow, brown, whatever the color is, they all they do is fifty-fifty booking anyway. So I don't know. I, I I don't know if it's if it's a racial thing. I'm not up there. I don't know if it's a. Well, I, just, I don't know either. I think it might just be the fact that that's all. You know, they do a lot of fifty-fifty booking. You know, just as an example, Elias. Uh, beats Bobby Roode twice, and Bobby Roode beats Elias twice, and so nobody really gets over you. You know, it's just that it's the parody. Well, I, I tell you, I tell you what, it's like this. I'm tell you what, they use these black. They got to have blacks on the card because not uh, the, the civil right, the black civil right people would, would would come in. So this way here, if you got blacks on the card. They need to cut out the, the civil rights leaders. Yeah. Well, they they they're using y'all. So, and, 
And you know what? Those guys are making money. I mean, the blacks are making, they make a decent money. They're not making the money that they should be making. You know, they're not making the money in, in Roman Reigns because they're not putting them in the money spot. Big E, like I said, Big E came in there, like he, he came in there tough and all that stuff. Like, I mean, scary, like all muscle up and everything. And you tell me he couldn't whoop nobody? Yeah. No, no, he's a he was imp- he's impressive for sure. And hey, look, well, he, he was a, but now he's not now because he's he's now he's all thing he's got down to offer is, is his little dance and, and 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 you know what? But I hope those guys would take that dancing or whatever they do. Uh, and I told him since y'all just uh, I want them to just stay with WWE because they're in a good spot to be because there's movies out. That, People's already watching. Uh, 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 you got a promoter over picking up these guys and putting them in movies. So hopefully they can get a movie, uh, you know, uh, somewhere down the line because well, they care. Because everybody can talk good. Sure. So that's one thing about now. Everybody can talk good. Back in the day, uh, all the all the wrestlers could not talk good. That's the reason why we had managers. Sure, absolutely. Because they couldn't. The big guys could not talk. But I want to get back on that case with, with, with Bill Watts. Okay, when I went back to Bill Watts, isn't it funny? Now he, he, he told me, go ahead on. Go ahead on. They're not going to do a thing with you and stuff like that. Now, in 09, 2009, Bill Watts and myself was inducted in the WWE <laughs> Hall of Fame together. I didn't realize that. How ironic is that? Did you? Hey, did, I, yeah. you have to have said something to him. Please tell me you did. Backstage. I did. I said, <laughs> I said Bill, I said, Bill, remember you tried to, you, you tried for me not to come here and stuff like that? And Bill looked at me. He said, oh, so it's a funny world. That's all he said. It's a funny world, isn't it? It is. I said, yeah, it would have been. A, I said, yeah, it would have been a funny world if I ever came up here and and lost all what I had, what I had to offer. I said, I would have been really sick of myself. Where here it is, I, the biggest stage of all, and and and, and I and, uh, and and I didn't get on it. Sure. Absolutely. That, how ironic is that, though? Hey, I, before we go on, and I want to I want to talk about the Hall of Fame a little bit more towards the end. But uh, I, I'm dying to know this. Uh, tell me, tell me about the challenges. You know, Vince mentioned it when you when you guys had your interview. Tell me about the challenges of traveling the world with a parrot. How how difficult was that? How you know? Uh, how did how did you did you have to check them in on planes? Well, did you carry them on planes? How'd that go? Well, see, the, the first night, Vince uh, actually Vince, he flew a guy down to Brazil and bought the bird and, and and got a wild bird and flew the guy back. So the night in Baltimore, we had TV in Baltimore. That's the first time the bird, is, first time I'm bringing the bird out is in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. And and he had a chain on his leg and everything like that. Well. Back in the back, me and Pat Patterson was was back there in the back. The the bird is walking. He wouldn't come out of the cage. And Pat was going, oh, my God. 
Coco, you sure you want to do this? He says, this bird's not coming. He was fighting his brother. I mean, he was fighting at us and everything. He was holding on the cage and everything. So we had to disassemble the cage. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, we had to break it all down and stuff like that. And then the bird was just trying to go out. He was trying to fight and all that. And the, but he, we, uh, we had, he had this chain on his leg. I said, I really don't want to go out there with with a chain on his leg because it looks so cruel. Right. You know, I, I don't I don't want that. I mean, I'm going like, oh, Lord, we got to do something where I, and I want him to be free. I, I don't want him to have his chain on his leg. And uh, Pat Patterson, Coco, I don't know what you're going to do. And the bird was biting on me and stuff. And in fact, I got I got uh, juice from the bird. And it, it wasn't even <laughs> in the reef. I got, oh my! It's a, I mean, know, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. It sounds like a disaster. Oh my God! And, and then, and Pat was just going, Coco, what, what are you going? What you going to do, Coco? What are you going to do? You going out there? You got to go out there. You got to match tonight, and, and you got to bring the bird out and stuff like that. Vince bought the bird and all that stuff. I said, I know it, Pat. I got to go. I said, and uh, first, and when I went out there, I I had the bird. Oh. Uh, I had him on the chain, and and and, uh, and I'm telling you, I I just carried him out there on my perch and stuff like that, and and uh, the people went crazy because I was a bird man, I had birds on my tights, and they had had Frankie in my in my hand, on my arms, stuff like that. And he was, I mean, and he was biting me to death and stuff like that. You know, I saw all the blood running out. I was, oh my god, I, I can't believe it, and. Um, Fellas, we went out there and had the match and stuff, and then we got back to the dressing room. Pat goes, Coco, I don't think this is right out here for you. This, this is not. I said, Pat, I said, Pat I'm telling you, I got, to, I got to make this work. I got to make this work. If I don't make this work, Pat, I'm a dead duck in the water. I'm telling you now, I'm a dead duck. Coco, beware when I get over here. I said, y'all, y'all don't put a lot, spend a lot of money uh, trying to push me and stuff like that. And I said, uh, y'all got a lot of stake here. I said, if I don't get over, I said, if I if I don't get this bird, then you know what? I'm gonna be just like everybody else. If I have this bird, I'm gonna be up there with Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Randy Savage, all those guys on top. I said that will put me up there with with those guys. I get this bird going. And don't you know when I got back to the hotel that night, I set the bird stand back up and stuff. And I said, Frankie, I said, you know what? We're going to have to work. We're going to have to make this work. You know, we're going to have to have to help me. I said, I don't have no money. And I'm just telling you, if you don't, if you don't help me, you won't, you won't be able to get no uh, bird seed. <laughs> <laughs> you won't, I said, you know, we both going to be starving to death. I said, if we don't make this work, and I'm just talking to them like, and Frank is looking all sideways and stuff, looking at me, but they're like, hey, well, heck, you you on your own, you know, Jack. I don't care, you know. <laughs> That's a true and, story. Uh, You're telling him that he's not going to get any bird seed if he doesn't work with you. Exactly. You know, he just, you know, and Frank is going like, oh. and uh, so, so the next, so the next thing, we flew out, we flew out, so I had to I had to go to the airport, take Frankie, and and they he would fly on the same plane underneath. Underneath, I had to you know had to pay fifty dollars. So actually, we were going to to uh, Buffalo, New York. 
And uh, so it was $50 from, uh, from Baltimore to Buffalo to New York. And then $50 wherever we go to our new place or back home or whatever. And so we go to Buffalo. So I go and we get to Buffalo. We check in the hotel and everything. I go, I go and uh, I go to a bird store, find a bird store. And somebody can do a thing about birds. They, and I, I'm getting scoops and stuff like that. And I said, how do you make a bird talk? So they give me this tape. They give me this bird tape and stuff like that. And this bird tape is, uh, is going, hello, hello, hello. Well, <laughs> meantime, Pedro Morales has been hounding me to death. Coco on the plane. Can his bird talk? I said, no, he can't talk right now, Pedro. He can't get, oh, okay. And stuff like that. So so we get checked in the hotel. Pedro's room is right beside mine. Well, that night, well, he didn't know. I done went to the bird store. Now I got I done got this tape. It lasts about two hours long. Repeat itself. <laughs> hello? 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 So Pedro, I passed. I'm leaving my room, so I passed Pedro down the hallway. Of course, Pedro done had a few drinks and stuff like that. And God Pedro said, where's the, where's the bird at? I said, he's in the room down there. He still can't talk. I said, oh, he can't talk at all. And uh, I said, so Pedro said, oh, okay. I said, I'm going, I'm going, uh, I'm just got to, I just, I just got to get out of the room and get some fresh air, Pedro, and stuff like that. He said, oh, okay. So now when Pedro gets in the room, he hears the darn tape going. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Hello. So Pedro, this was he telling me the next morning. Pedro, he started repeating the bird. Hello. He Pedro's going. He said hello back to the bird. Hello. Hello. Now Pedro's getting closer to the wall. <laughs> and now Pedro, he's he's hollering, he's banging on the wall. Now Pedro's telling me all this the next morning. He's he, he's he's banging on the wall. Okay, bird, shut the hell up. Shut up. You say hello. I say hello. You say hello. I say hello. Coco, see you next time. You can fucking talk. <laughs> you saw language. But you can not oh, okay. talk at all. And, uh, and, uh, shut up, you darn bird. He's beating on the wall. Shut up. Shut up. You shut up. So the next morning, I, I see Pedro down, me and him, I meet him down the hallway. We check it out. And he comes up to me, Pedro, is a Coco. I said, yeah, what's up? I thought you told me that damn bird could talk. <laughs> that damn bird can talk. Oh, he can talk. He kept me up all night long. He said hello. I say hello. He said hello. I say hello. I said, I got to the wall, told the bird to shut up. You know that damn bird can, he can talk. I said, Pedro, that was the tape before. Hell no, that so, so just that's a hilarious story, by the way. Just so I got, just so I got this right, I just want to confirm this is a shoot. So, you're in Baltimore, and the birds are giving you a really hard time, biting you all over the place, and and you had to take apart the cage to get them out of the cage. You bring them back to the hotel. You sit the bird down, and you have a talk with the bird, and the bird actually started to behave after that. I just want to make sure I got this right. After 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 that, I uh, 
when I got the when I got the uh, buffalo, they told me I would have went through the bird store. They said to help train a bird, you have to get the two sticks, and you have to uh, play games with them, where up and down, up and down with the sticks and stuff like that. And they'll play the stick. They're thinking, oh, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna whack them. And 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 the sticks helped me out a whole lot. Wow. Every time the bird would the bird would do something bad. I raised the stick up, and he was like, "Oh, okay." And then you have to—you got to keep his wings clipped, and that brings—that brings, that brings the, the, uh, all the the meanness and everything out of it. Because if he can't fly, then that takes away. Oh man, then he's so—he's so humble and, and just like a little baby. Then, please help me! Please help me! I can't go nowhere. <laughs> I can't fly up in the tree nowhere. Yeah, you know. That's that's so, it. Uh, that's amazing, and. uh and so I th- I swear to God I thought this that you were gonna tell me that you sent the the wild bird back to wherever it went and you bought a train bird and that and and I I, I swear to God I thought if I if I was a betting man I'd have bet you a hundred dollars that was the story you're gonna oh, tell. Oh no I no I couldn't I could I couldn't send it back I could not send it back I had to use what I mean hey we stayed up all night that night I didn't get no sleep and and, and uh, our flight was like seven oh five that morning. Man, I'm dragging in the airport. I've been out, I've been up playing with that bird all night long from Baltimore. God bless you. Do you ever get him to talk? I finally got him to say hello and stuff like that, and uh, just saying hello. And but uh, I I couldn't I didn't I didn't work with him long enough to, to say words and stuff like that. You know, just to speak on command. That would have been awesome if I just if I could have. If I could have got him, I just at that time I said he was so easy. He would every time I uh, he got to where I would open the cage door, he he'd walk out on his own. Wow! And because he knew he, he knew the routine yeah. that we was traveling, he when I opened the cage, he walk out, and I I set his perch up, and he and he'll perch right in, uh, uh, right on his perch in the room, and his food and water. And the next morning he was. Uh, we we leave. I, I would put him back in the cage. He would have no problem going walking in his cage. Boy, I, what I would give to have one more chance to sit at a bar and have a buy a drink for uh, Pedro Morales and 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 discuss that story because you know that that Latin accent, and that Latin temper that he had. I bet you I could after a couple of uh, cocktails, I could get him riled up again about the. About oh my God! I'm telling you, he was just a little bit more. I'm telling you, he's he's getting all over me. That fucking bird can talk. What's wrong with you, Coco? I thought you said he couldn't fucking talk. Hell, yeah. I thought he was saying hello, and I was and I was saying hello back to the bird. I'm meeting on the fucking wall, and, stuff, and the bird would stop talking, Coco. That's hilarious. Um, so at some point, uh. You, they uh, discovered that you had a singing voice and uh, let you sing. The, they decided they were going to get in the music business. Jimmy was there and Jim Johnson, and uh, uh, they had had an, uh, an album and they they had a follow up album called Pile Driver. And you sang the title track. I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering how that is. It is it nervous to you know Vince McMahon comes up to you and says you're singing. You know, this is a high-profile, you know, album. We're going to be marketing it all over the world, and you're singing the title track. Was that nerve-wracking? Did uh, you did you like it? No, 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 no. I was I was fine with it because you know 
I was singing in the church already. I, I sung in the middle chorus, still singing in the middle chorus, and I played lead guitar. Uh, I, I played lead guitar for my church, the Zoom Sherman Gospel Church uh, in Cardinalville, Tennessee. I play every Sunday morning when I'm, when I'm there in town. And, and uh, you know, that never stopped, what I'm saying. I'm still singing in the bell chorus, and, and chorus, you know, I love to sing, and, and, uh, and by me being the, one, the lead singer of Power Drive or something like that, man, I just thought that was took me over the edge, brother. Did they ever have any plans to do like a tour or any kind of or that, or was it just the album they were promoting? Well, you know, I guess they, they, they thought about some plans, doing some tours and stuff like that, but I never, you know, it never did come my, my way. I mean, hey, I think the uh, I think the, the, the power driver went, went, uh, went gold over in Canada and then they did 500,000 some copies in the state. Yeah, I had the album. And, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit I had the album. It was, uh, uh, you know, it was a cool concept and, uh, and, and that must have been an honor for you to do that. And I'm sure. Uh, uh, oh, people, it was an honor. And, still, you know, and I want to thank the WWE for for giving me that opportunity, you know, because, I mean, and I tell a lot of these uh, gospel groups out here that I deal with stuff like here. I said, guys, I said, I already had a hit record of Power Driver, a lead singer. And, and it was a million, I said, it was 500,000 pop, I mean, copies over, you know, that we sold and went, and they went, they went gold over Canada. And I said, I said, man, here it is. I'm just coming out of the restaurant. You guys out here trying to sing, like trying to get on, uh, trying to get a start in life and stuff like that. Y'all are singing and, and all these demos that y'all have that nobody can hear. I said, you need to get, you need to get these demos where people can hear these through you, you guys. Uh, if you got a good song out and stuff like that, because you know what? And it takes money to uh, to do that. Because WWE, they put up over a hundred thousand dollars just to get this thing played on the uh, that uh, uh, TV. That uh, uh, yeah, you had a huge machine behind you. You know, uh, uh, you know the television presence and the promotional machine that the, that the WWE. Yeah, that the MTV came on. Remember yeah. the MTV? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, they played it on the MTV yeah. and all this stuff, man. I mean, I mean, when you get exposures like that. Man, you know, you know, that's what that's what give you uh give you more exposure and stuff like that. And because uh, there's a lot of songs that you hear on, on radio is crap, but they get they get an airplay. You know, and that's what makes their songs uh, be so uh, you can go, Oh, I can oh I can out I can out say here was uh my song sounds a whole lot better than this song, but it, it's not all about that. It's just what producer do you have behind it? Yeah, like like Bill Watts, it's the world's a strange place. You never know what's going to happen, and a lot of it is right. Play, who, a lot of it is who. A lot of it is who you know. And uh, hey, uh, speaking, you, you teamed up with Owen Hart for about a year. Owen, uh, God bless him, was um, was known for playing ribs. He, he he play any good ribs on you while you guys were a team? Well, he didn't mess with me, but he he he, he was a board, uh, British bulldog. They they were they they was at it all the time and stuff like that. I mean, of course, Owen, you know, he didn't like to spend no money at all. And these nasty boys, was, they, was, they really ripped uh, 
on the lot. You know, they used to tell him how cheap he was and all that. And, you know, that he always tried to catch rides and, and, and to a town and all that stuff and getting a rental car. And, and the nasty boys really just, I mean, they, they just howled the heck out of him. But, but we all got along great, though, man. It was, just, I think, Owen was, he's even more another of uh, uh, tag team partners, man, that I love and, and got to, got to know his family, stuff like that, real well. Uh, man, Brad Hart and, and, and just, uh, and his, and his dad, when I met Stu Hart, oh my God, Stu wanted to go, wanted to take me down in the dungeon and stretch me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take you down there. <laughs> Come on down here. He liked to. He liked to do that. But, uh, yeah, he loved it. He said, "I'm gonna see can I, can see can I, uh, you, uh, little Coco. You look like you're kind of tough there." Um, you know. Well, it was it was great, you know, you know, and I'm so sorry what happened on that situation, man. God, he uh. You know, my my heart, my heart just 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 uh, going down to the family. Just God bless you. Hope you know. Hope uh, of course they never get over it. You know, they never forget about something like that. No, and, I uh, I still I never even met Owen Hart, but I still remember where I was um, when when I heard the news because uh, we were at a WCW house show and uh, and everybody was just a. Uh, uh, a lot of the guys who had uh, who knew Owen were, you know, of course, obviously very emotional, and it's just one of those one of those crazy things that, that you know, they talk about tragedies. It was just a tragedy, and uh, and he's certainly missed. But uh, couldn't, and I couldn't, tell you that that the suit he had on when he when he passed. I mean, I I I wore that suit on the WWE uh, when they brought me in one time. I I, I wore that. That, that blue suit, the blue blazer outfit that he had on. Right. One time, I don't know if you remember when I jumped, when I came into, when Bobby Heaton said that's a black blazer or something. I remember that you did something brief, but uh, after 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 his tragedy, it never they never obviously for obvious reasons brought it up again. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they they never brought it. They never brought anything up like that again. But but uh, I I did wear that same suit that he. Uh, died in man and deceased in, but uh, but my heart still, man. I you know, God bless him and, his, and his, he got those kids around there, man. And uh, uh, man, I wish one day I could see them, but I know probably slim and dumb. But I, I, my, I still wish them the best. Yeah, of course. Speaking of, uh, I don't want to uh, get too uh, too down because we just had a a, a fun chat, uh, you know about. Pedro Morales yelling at the wall and the great <laughs> stories that you told. It's, I appreciate it. But I also, uh, you know, talking about being taken too soon. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You were tight with uh, Corey Macklin back when he was doing the Memphis wrestling shows, correct? Yeah, we was tight. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I help Corey out a lot and uh, Corey helped me out a lot, you know, uh, on different things and stuff like that. So we kind of, we worked we worked pretty good. We had some disagreements at that time, and and, uh, and we had some great times together. Corey always left every left everything till the last minute. So, like the twenty four hours before a Memphis uh, Legends reunion was like uh, 
it felt like it took about six days, but, uh, but God bless him. But, uh, I just thought I'd ask you about that because I don't know if you remember, but I came to Memphis a lot to work with Corey and Jimmy Hart and uh, and Jerry Lawler and Lance a little bit and work with you. So, just yeah, to- I can, yeah, I remember you. You kind of just shot me away a little bit because you know I, I guess you were more of a big shot than I was. No, no, time, no, you know, no, I, no. But uh, you, you know, know what? I mean. I was talking. I was talking earlier about you know how things could go to your head and. Uh, and and if I came and 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 if I came off that way, I certainly apologize because. Uh, well, that's, that's what happens. Everything, everything was at your head at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but look, hey, you're that. I the one thing though is that it might not have shown it always, but I always respected the athletes because they're the ones that went out. You know, anybody you know could take a, a microphone and talk into it. Some better than others, but. Uh, well, not anybody. I mean, let's give yourself some credit about anybody. But, 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 you know, going out there and taking those bumps every night and, and doing, you know, what you guys did, I always tried to show them much respect. I think I might have been intimidated by it, but that's a whole nother. Just because you were a big star and I was just a ring announcer. But, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think it was the other way around, you know. I, I hope not. Now you're making you me feel bad. You, yeah, you came in there in Atlanta with a nice suit on and all that stuff and, you know, uh, Limbo picking you up and all that stuff. I mean, you, you're just like a hot dog, man. You know. Oh God. Come on, man. You know, you know, you was spreading your stuff back in the day, bro. <laughs> hey, you, you hey. I, I will tell you this: you're only young once, so when you're young, you got to strut it because uh, you get and to. Because now, you, now you, I'm because now, now I'm fifty two and bald and uh, and 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 fifty thirty pounds overweight and uh, and 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 so I can't strut nothing anymore. Uh, but uh, but if if I came off that way, I certainly do apologize. I certainly didn't mean to, and it's embarrassing uh, actually to, to hear about. Uh, let's end with on a positive note. You mentioned it briefly, but the, going in the Hall of Fame, did you was that something that you thought about, or was that a uh, total surprise when they called it? Was it something that you said, "Hey, I you know I'd really like to get a call and go in the Hall of Fame," or was it something that you just didn't you didn't think about and uh, was you know something out of the blue? Well, I was just kind of shocked because, you know, it, it took them 20 years to put me in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <There> you, <go. laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I was just, I was just, uh, you know, I was just shocked. Uh, I, I know I deserved to be there before uh, uh, a lot of grasslers that was, was beat me there uh, at the time. And then, and then, and then, you know, so, so I, I just thought I was I should have been I should have been in the in the in the Hall of Fame before some guys and stuff. I'm not gonna mention their name and stuff like that out of respect. Sure, absolutely. But uh, but, uh, but you know what? If it's 20 years down the road, who cares? Hey, it happened, and you know, thank God it happened. And you know what? That that, that kind of ended, ended my chapter of my wrestling career because you know what? When they say I wasn't going no no further than uh, little small territories or whatever, when I proved them wrong, that I made it all the way to the Hall of Fame, the biggest, I made it to the biggest circuit out there, the, the biggest grandstand in the whole wide world was WWE at the time. I'm an F at the time, but it's E now. But uh, you know what? And I'm very, very proud of it and stuff like that. And I still love, I still love the business. 
And I am so grateful that they put me in the Hall of Fame and that, that ended my chapter, chapter because I'm telling you, I completed my goal from a little small black boy from Union City, Tennessee, made it all the way up to the greatest daddy of all. God and, bless you. And, and made it made it big. I'm talking about made it big with ninety three thousand people in WrestleMania three. There you go. And you know I'm telling you, I'm telling you, coming from a little small town with a population of ten thousand people. I mean, only one police, one post office, one grocery store. Man, how proud can I say? How proud can I be? Yeah, you earned it, my friend. You know, it was great, and and I still take my hat off to the WWE. And I, I still love them. I just wish they they would give me more time to uh, do something with me when I'm in. When they come to Memphis, Tennessee, I wish they would call me out and say, "Coco, bring you and Frankie out, uh, coming out here and, and just come down the aisle and stuff like that, and so the people around the world can see you all." Sure. I wish they could do that, but but uh, they never have did anything uh, since they put me in the Hall of Fame. I never did anything for them and stuff like that. And I don't know why. You know, I mean, it, it just, uh, you know, uh, uh, it just, it, stuff like that happened and stuff like that. I mean, I'm okay. I'm, uh, uh, I'm fine with it, but it hurts. It hurts like hell when my, the, 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 the job that I love, they put me in the hall of fame, they come to town and they don't, they don't call me. So I can let, because a lot of people here, a lot of my fans and a lot of just people here in general, Coco, why are you not down at the uh, WrestleMania? I mean, down at the uh, FedEx Forum in Memphis, Tennessee. Why are you not there? Why are you not coming out? Just letting the people see you. And everybody in there loves me. I mean, everybody in there knows me. The whole town knows me everywhere I go. Sure. And I just think it's missing the boat. WWE is missing the boat on that. Yeah, and, I, but you know what? But I can't, you know, I, I don't have the power or anything like that to talk to them now because I've been out of the game for a while. So, you know, I just have to sit back and, and just and just wait. And if it happens, it happens. I get a phone call, I get a phone call. And that's all. I don't want to get in the ring and wrestle. I just want to go out and look like a Look like I got a million dollars. Look, look like I got a million dollars in my pocket. You know, uh, with, with nice suit on and stuff like that. And Frankie's got his little suit on. And, and man, I'm telling you, <laughs> and, you know, I just want to come down the aisle and, and, go, and go around the ringside and let them let the announcers do the bird dance and back up the ramp I go. And God bless, you know, God bless America. Well, I've been I've been with you at a at a uh, at a bunch of legends of wrestling events and. uh and I know the fans still love you, and the fans still pop huge for the the bird and the song and the the. Now you got a hat you've added to your repertoire, a bird hat. So, uh, 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 if it happens, you know, like you said, you know, you never know what's going to happen in life. But uh, but I'm glad that I'm glad that whether it happens or not, that that Hall of Fame call came, and that you, like you said, you you if it if it doesn't happen, you could uh you could be proud of what you accomplished and. Uh, you know, have some peace. Well, you know, my, my, my thing is, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, the Hall of Fame happened to me. I'm proud of it. But now, you know what? I will, there are some lot more other wrestlers out there who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And and uh, let's let's put Mike Tyson him off the side 
and let's put the, the real wrestlers in there. You know, that's that's my thing. You know, hey, uh, Mike Tyson, Pete Rose, and stuff. They they have no business. I'm gonna say this much, and and I know it's all about the money, though. But they have no business in the wrestling hall of fame. Yeah, they do a celebrity wing, and I know it's controversial, and and I I, I have no idea what their thought process is. If, if maybe PR, uh, you know, they've always. They've always, you know, going, but you talked about WrestleMania three with all the celebrities and WrestleMania two with all, you know, they had, you know, so they've always uh, mixed in celebrities to their stuff. And so maybe that's just their formula. I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking a stance either any way, either way. I've never, I've never been up there. I've never met Vince McMahon. And, uh, and so, uh, I, I just don't know. But, uh, all right. But I'm glad. I, I wish to. I wish the I wish the NBA and the NFL would put me in in their in their Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, <laughs> man. Can you imagine? You could be you could be in the Larry Bird Hall uh, wing of the Hall of Fame. There we go, Larry Bird. There we go. That's, that's <Yeah>. All right, now it's it's getting off the tra- it's getting off the tracks. But uh, hey, th- I I, I want to wrap this up. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, the stories were hilarious. I'm so glad that uh, that you gave us the time to sit ringside with us and uh, and and best to you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you down the road. I know that you do uh, you know autograph shows and 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 some indie stuff. So uh, hopefully we'll see you down the line. Do you have are uh, you on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that? Oh no 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 no. No, 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 no Facebook, no, no, nothing like that. Just what you, what you hear is what you hear now. There you go. Well, thanks, Coco. I really appreciate it. God bless you. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Hopefully we'll see you down the road on a, on a Legends of Wrestling show. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Same and, to-, uh, to all my fans out there, I love you all. And, man, I hope the Birdman can come in your town. Uh, man, just... Man, I'm dying to come there. So talk to your local promoters and stuff and book the Birdman Coco Beware. All right, fun times, and God bless them. Coco Beware, that story about Frankie uh, and Pedro Morales, I could, I could see it now. Pedro Morales was, uh, like, to after he was done uh, with, he, he was the uh, Spanish play-by-play announcer, uh, color guy, actually, for WCW for most of my run there. And um, after he was done with the play-by-play, he liked to go down and have a couple of cocktails. And he had a little big Latin accent, if you remember, and Latin temper. And I could just see him arguing through the wall with what he thinks is a bird, uh, but is really a tape. So that that is one of the funnier stories I've heard since we've been doing this podcast. And um want to thank Coco, uh, class act, and uh, happy that, uh, that he's happy because... Uh, not all the wrestlers from back in the day uh, are satisfied. So he, he seems pretty satisfied, and um, uh, hopefully uh, WWE will reach out to him, let him make a uh, appearance in Memphis, Tennessee. It seems like it means a lot to him. So uh, hopefully uh, maybe that could happen down the road. But uh, also want to thank Alex Marvez. Fun conversation about the NFL and, and his career and our history together. And um, you could follow him at, at Alex Marvez. Uh, very knowledgeable, as you saw a little bit of about the NFL. So if you're an NFL fan, be sure to hit him up on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, be sure to hit me up if you haven't already, at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. We want your questions 
for our guest next week, former WCW heavyweight champion David Arquette making his first podcast wrestling appearance in more than four years and his second podcast wrestling appearance ever. So we're really excited to have him. And uh, we're going to, like I said at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about his run with WCW, which was controversial to say the least. And his thoughts on the business and uh, hopefully ask your questions. So send them in. And uh, we are looking forward to City Ringside with David Arquette. It drops uh, next Monday. And uh, we look forward uh, to your responses. Hopefully you will enjoy it. Hopefully you enjoyed this edition as well. Let us know. Until next time with David Arquette. I'm David Penzer. Still City Ringside. Take care. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a dark to light with Frank and Beans quick fix on Radio Influence. I don't know how people defend what's going on here. Um, there's, It's indefensible. Even if, let's pretend, there was some reason why the FBI needed to look at the Trump team. They never told Trump about it. They never talked to him about it. They never gave him an intelligence briefing. They never gave him a heads up saying, hey, guys, there are people within your campaign that are, you know, doing some shady stuff. What did they do? They infiltrated the campaign instead? It just doesn't make sense if you're honest with yourself. Do you have any thoughts on that, Frank? No, you, you, you put it into a great nutshell. The only thing I would add to it as far as the enormity of the situation or the, the potential of the situation that we're looking at, when you're talking about just the Internet and the information age aspect layered on top of all of the old school human proclivities we have within government and corruption and power grabs, it makes this... Like, I mean, Tom Clancy is just, <laughs> holy damn, you know? Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.